The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. This season, we're attempting the deepest dive that's ever been done on the disruptive organizations that are likely to impact the experience of healthcare consumers for years to come. For more provocative thinking, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about TikTok's parent company acquiring a chain of hospitals. Is this a counter move to Amazon's acquisition of One Medical? And do we have any indication that it will benefit consumers? I'll talk about that. Then Dr. Thomas Cornwell is in the house to share Village MD's vision for healthcare at home and the major role that they see it playing in their primary care strategy. Dr. Cornwell is the national medical director of Village Medical at Home, and he shares with us why home-based healthcare has such a bright future ahead. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Well, it didn't take long for other big tech to make counter moves to Amazon on a global scale. TikTok's parent company ByteDance has acquired a chain of hospitals in China for roughly $1.5 billion. The company now owns Amcare Healthcare, which includes seven women's and children's hospitals, two integrated clinics, and five postpartum centers spanning from Beijing to Shenzhen. Besides TikTok, ByteDance has invested in other sectors from cleaning robots to coffee and hot pot chains. According to Vice.com, ByteDance's step into healthcare began in 2020 when it acquired a medical knowledge platform called Bychemi.com and established its own healthcare app later that year known as Xiaohe Health. Xiaohe competes with Alibaba and Ping On in online consultations, hospital appointments, and wellness services. Is this a counter move to compete with Amazon and other big tech in healthcare now at a global scale? Uh, maybe. ByteDance's market cap has shrunk due to a global tech sell-off, and it may be seeking growth in new areas. Now, that part wouldn't make news on its own, but TikTok's parent company now owning brick-and-mortar healthcare facilities is pretty fascinating. There isn't any indication yet, though, about their healthcare roadmap beyond this acquisition. The other countermove that came within 24 hours of the ByteDance story was CVS Health, indicating its desire to purchase Signify Health, a company that helps health plans and providers with in-home care, which has a current market value of roughly $4.7 billion. 
And yes, that sounds remarkably close to the $3.9 billion purchase price for One Medical. We'll see if the Signify deal materializes, but at least it makes sense on paper, especially given CVS's roadmap and vision for becoming a major player in primary care. So compared to that and Amazon's move, ByteDance's announcement has me shaking my head a bit. There's nothing indicating to me that they have the desire or ability to improve much from a consumer standpoint. So this one to me is more of a wait and see move at this point. What it does tell me is to follow the money. The real trend here appears to be how to regain shareholder value, and if more players outside the U.S. see traditional healthcare as being ripe for disruption in a way that helps their balance sheet, we're likely to see more players join the fray. And it isn't yet clear if all of those players have consumers' best interests in mind, or whether this is just a giant global chess match. Knowing that more players could come out of the woodwork and make major acquisitions to compete with traditional health systems tells us that we have work to do. Hospitals might soon be competing with even more big tech with big pockets looking to make a splash. Healthcare organizations everywhere need to be playing offense and defense at the same time in order to compete. Keeping that front and center is another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Welcome everyone back to the Healthcare Wrap Podcast. We are so excited today to have Dr. Tom Cornwell with us from Village MD. How's it going today? Uh, it's going great. I'm a kid in a candy shop. Oh, fantastic. We love having physicians on the podcast. So many of some of the crew that we get on here are more on the administrative type like me. And so we just love to hear from the horse's mouth, if you will, from the true experts in care and certainly get your opinion on digital health and where things are going. Maybe to start, Dr. Cornwell, to get everyone acquainted to, tell us a little bit about who you are. I would imagine a lot of our listeners know about Village MD, but even spend a little minute to orient people to that business, if you will, and that care model, and then also tell us a little bit about your background. Right. And so I'm a bit of an unusual doctor in that I've made 34,000 house calls. Uh, since I know since 1993, there's not too many of me in the country. And most of that time was a struggle. You know, primary care is not easy and doing house calls with the low volume under fee for service, where you just cannot do as many visits as you can in the office was really a struggle. Actually, some of my success was in fundraising because the patients that you impact are so grateful that they actually support your program. But now I find myself, this is so exciting to go from the fee-for-service world where this huge value base, and I can give you some data later as to how powerful this is in terms of providing better care and reducing costs. But now I'm part of this amazing value-based organization, Village MD, where actually by my keeping patients out of the hospital and giving them better care, including end-of-life care, it's a win-win. You know, the company wins because uh, we're at full risk for these patients. And so I reduce costs and the patients win because especially for these homebound patients, we are giving them just the best care. That is fantastic. If you don't mind, Dr. Cornwell, could you explain to us, and I realize this is, you know, maybe this preaching to work, but could you explain to us what does it mean to be full risk or value-based versus fee-for-service? I know we use those terms a lot in healthcare, but I've personally noticed that I, that I feel some people don't fully understand exactly what that implication is. And so could you just take a moment to like break that down for us in a layman's term? 
right? And I think I have a good example for you as I tried to teach my fellow house call providers what the concept is. And so basically, the fee-for-service system is just very transactional. You go to a doctor and you pay for your whatever the doctor does. He pays for the visit, pays for the lab test, pays for the test. If you don't go, you don't pay anything. If you do stuff, you pay for every little thing. And there is no... There's no incentive on the doctor's part to have good outcome. And actually, what is not that this happens, what is kind of sad is that actually the sicker you get. So the more you drink, the more you smoke, the less you exercise, the worse you eat, and the sicker you get under fee-for-service, the richer I get because you have to come to me for all the illnesses you get because of your behaviors. Value-based care is not tweaking the system. It is literally... 180 degree different payment structure. What it does is it pays you for outcomes. It gives you a certain amount of money for each patient. And then you take full risk. If you go to the hospital, I pay for it. If you need home health, I pay for it. If you get cancer from your smoking, I pay for it. So I have these huge incentives to give you better care to prevent cancer, to get you to quit smoking, to get you to eat better. Because if you get sick, I get poorer. And if I keep you healthy, we end up having this money left over that we can use to pay our bills, but also to give you even better care. And here's the example that I gave. So if I do house calls on 500 patients, I have 500 patients over a year, and I see them 10 times a year, and I do certain procedures on them, I have this all listed out, I would get with nurse practitioner model about a million dollars of revenue over that year, a million dollars, okay? If I really do a good job of billing under fee-for-service, under value-based care, Medicare gives more money to take care of sicker patients because they know they're going to be hospitalized more and stuff like that. And those same 500 patients under value-based care, we will get about $16 million to care for them. Now, you know, Medicare is not generous and they know these are very costly patients, but Think of what you can do with that $16 million if you do things to keep them out of the hospital. That is where the huge interest is in making in doing house calls is because house calls under fee-for-service loses money. But under value-based care, when we keep all these patients at home, including allowing them to pass away at home if that is their desire, all those cost savings for doing what they want, keeping them at home, allows us to do absolutely remarkable care. Wow. I really appreciate you breaking it down that way because I think for a lot of us who listen and certainly in my own experience, I've always worked in institutions and for organizations that are very much in the fee-for-service model. And there seemed to have always been sort of this lore that in a value-based world, there's not enough money and we can't possibly make money or it's just too hard. But it seems like the work that you all are doing is completely proving the opposite, that this truly should be the model that we move forward with in the United States and spread around the country where best. No, it is amazing. You know, and part of why people know about home-based primary care is mostly data, some stories, but you know, the first data that just really drives home this value-based came from the Veterans Association. They have the largest home-based primary care program. They have about 35,000 vets now in all 50 states. But back in the middle of the last decade or about 2005, the head of it, Dr. Tom Eads, was told he had to cut the program because they were spending $11,000 more sending doctors and nurse practitioners and behavioral health workers into the home than usual home health, you know, the nurses and the therapists and stuff like that. So $11,000 more per vet in home care, we can't afford it, cut it. 
he asked, can we look at all their cost data, not just the home silo? And his superior said, fine. The data went to University of Pennsylvania, third-party health economists, to look at the data. And what they found, I think, shocked everybody. They found there was 11,344 vets in the program at that time. They found an 87% reduction, 87% reduction in nursing home cost for the the vets because they would have to pay for that. They found a 63% reduction in hospital cost and overall $9,000 savings per vet. And that included the extra 11,000 in home care, right? And when you multiplied the 9,000 to the 11,000 vets in the program, it came out to $103 million, million savings by giving the vets what they wanted you know, care in the home when they couldn't get to the clinic. And that was first presented in the Capitol building, actually, the only meeting I ever had to get a security clearance for. And it really brought us, in terms of CMS, as well as Capitol Hill, understanding the value of house calls. And that was back in 2008. And just a lot has happened, obviously, since then. Sure. Oh, that's a fantastic statistic and certainly hits home, hits home the value. If you don't mind, could you break down for us, like, what exactly happened? And I realize... Many patients out there, I'm sure many things happen in a home care visit, but generally, what goes on at a home care visit? Like what equipment's coming to the house? What types of patients are you seeing? What types of procedures are you doing, if any? I think and the reason why I ask is there's a lot of conversation in the health innovation world about hospital at home, bringing healthcare to home, but I don't think it's always clear you know, what are the types of things that are happening in the home? And so I'd love to, if you could spout on that for a minute, give us your vision of what can go down in a house. Right. And so I now have programs in Phoenix and Houston, Atlanta, Kentucky, Indiana, Detroit, Chicago, Rhode Island. We're moving into Orlando and Tampa and Denver. And my point with that is everywhere where we practice, there are x-ray services that come to the home. There are ultrasound services where we can do things like echocardiograms or diagnose blood clots. When I started, I was a part of this program called CallDoc, where I actually had this van that had a, this is back in 1993, before digital x-rays. And so we actually had an x-ray processor in the van where we could actually develop x-rays in the driveway. And yeah, it was uh, remarkable and just remarkable patient stories came from that. And so technology is part of what's really brought back the modern day house call because with the miniaturization of um, blood instruments and all that stuff, you can do, in fact, I can do more in a home than most primary care practices do in their office. Most offices now don't do x-ray, right? You have to get the order and then go somewhere. Okay, is that kind of insane? And so it really is amazing. And then in terms of what can be done, and so you did talk about hospital at home, but that is for a very small subset of the at-home population. And just like we know there's a shortage of primary care generally in our country, and primary care is where the money's at, because when you have a primary care doctor, it has been shown your health outcomes are going to be better and your costs are going to be lower. And the same thing, I think, in the home. By emphasizing primary care, hopefully if I do my job well, not only will they not need a hospital, but they will not need a hospital at home program as much because of the work. And maybe the last thing I'll say about that, again, just another thing that drives this home is the last 10 years of my career were at Northwestern. I was part of this wonderful community hospital, Central Page Hospital that supported me since 1997. But a huge part of what we do, our average age patient are 80, a third over 85, and these are mainly sicker homebound 
patients. And about 20 to 25% of my patients in my previous practice would pass away. And so since 2000, between 2003 and 2019, we had over 3,000 patients pass away and 75% passed away at home, which is what they wanted, you know? And so a large part of what we do is also palliative care where you really find out what your patients want. If our patients wanted to be in the hospital and they felt like their family would have a difficult time having them at home, fine. But most families and patients would like to be at home. And so this is just another wonderful part that fulfills patients' wishes to be where they want to be at the end of life, but also just dramatically reduces costs. I love that. My grandfather back in Canada, where home is for me, we had the, he had the privilege of dying at home. And so certainly see the value of that palliative care, doing it at the place where he and the rest of the family want it to happen. And what I also really appreciate about what you're saying is really you're getting down to patient preferences, which so much of the work that I do now as my day job is helping health systems understand that patients should have preferences beyond just Hey, do you want a virtual visit or an in-person visit? But where care is actually delivered increasingly is becoming part of that equation as well. And so I think that's fantastic that you all are manifesting that level of care in health systems. No, I mean, you talk about right care, right time, right place. We say things like that, but it's the right place if it works for us kind of thing. It's not that consumerism that you're talking about. And that's exactly, you know, what this is. It's, is it truly is, you know, we'll do it in the office, we'll do it telehealth, or we'll do it at your home, depending on what's best for you. Yes. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Hey, listen up, y'all. Did you know that nearly 60% of people wish their healthcare provider sent them more relevant health information? And 42% would even consider switching to a different provider that sent them more, according to a recent survey of patients in the U.S. The vast majority of them would prefer to get that information via email or text. Persado is a natural language AI company that provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized messaging journeys proven to build digital relationships, improve health goals, and increase patient retention. Deliver better health outcomes and revenue growth with Persado's data-driven content that inspires action. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com to find out how Persado can help. Justin Knott here with the Patient Convert Podcast, your weekly dose of healthcare marketing growth strategies, co-hosted by Justin and Kelly Knott. This is perfect for physicians, practice owners, healthcare entrepreneurs, and healthcare executives. We are breaking down what practices and healthcare organizations should be doing to grow, reach, and retain patients. There's so much confusion and so many options out there around what you should be focusing on to grow your practice, and we're breaking down each week what really works. We're bringing real-world application, case studies, and interviews from leading growth-minded physicians and healthcare executives. So catch us weekly on your favorite listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. Okay, back to the flow. I wonder, Dr. Cornwell, if you could talk to us about this recent acquisition of Grace at Home. I assume that means that Village MD has a vision for growing this service and sees the value of it. 
uh, to the point where it's either through acquisition or growing itself that it can really take off from here. Can you tell us about the acquisition itself? Like, what does that mean for Village MD? Right. And so Village MD as a whole has grown from 13 physicians in 2013 to over 3,000 in over 14 markets. And the great majority of that has been through acquisition. And most of our growth at Village Medical at home, there were 10 providers when I started. We are now up to 55, with 16 of those being Grace at Home. And so most have been kind of homegrown. But Grace at Home was our first acquisition of just an amazing quality program. Tammy Browning, who started it around 2009, she was actually the 2020 House Call Clinician of the Year by the American Academy of Home Care Medicine. So just a super quality program. But this is part of Tim Barry's vision. He really wants to do the right care at the right time in the right place and really wants to expand home-based primary care across the country. For our Valley-based patients, He right now we're focusing on the sicker patients. But his vision is if you are a Valley-based patient, uh, this gets into Zane, your consumerism you know, conversation. If you are a Valley-based patient and you prefer your care in the home, Tim Barry wants that to happen. Love that. Tell us, Dr. Cornwell, a lot of folks that listen to our podcast here you know, generally come from the marketing space, like the digital health innovation space. Again, not necessarily clinicians. And so curious from your perspective, what are the technology tools that you all are using to enable this home-based primary care? I mean, obviously the physicians in the room, but are there tools that you all are using to support it? You know, how might you be using virtual visits to support some of that in-person care? Talk to us about that. Right. Well, you know, the big thing you want to do is reduce windshield time, we call it, right? The driving time. And so obviously virtual care reduces it by 100%. And so that is one thing. And we're trying to find, you know, what is the sweet spot? The sickest of the sick, they need hands-on care. And I'll also tell you, I have just realized how much love impacts patients that that just truly feeling cared for, which is just not as easy to do virtually. But then also one of the huge things is mapping and routing, something that providers in the office do not have to do. And so we've actually created just a really slick through Salesforce mapping software. You can create patients in close proximity to one another on certain days. It routes it for you. If someone cancels, you can actually say who else is in this area that has an appointment in the next two weeks. So you can add someone on that needs to be seen. It helps with, we know where all our providers are. So if there's an urgent patient, the mapping software can tell us who's in the area. And so that is definitely a digital solution that you don't necessarily need in the office. Sure. Very cool. This is the first time I've heard someone allude to love as something that really makes an impact. Can you tell us more about that? I have a suspicion it has to do with culture and like really making sure that you know we hire the right providers, but say more about that. It's intriguing to me. Right. I tell my providers when I do all the training that we are in the business of doing miracles. And part of that is we are seeing the sickest patients whose health care has often been going back and forth to the hospital which is the worst primary care. Not only is it expensive, it is lousy primary care. So we come into these situations where they were having essentially no primary care. They were only having acute care and you can make such a difference that way alone. But just stepping across the threshold shows this patient, I value you. I am willing to take the time to come to you. But even, you know, one of the things I can tell you a story, I had this 35-year-old, which is a young patient for us, right? Our average age patient, as I said, is 80. But she had spent, I first saw her in 2017 in June, and she had spent 
32% of her life in the hospital in the four months before I saw her, 10 hospitalizations. And she had diabetes since the age of eight, and she'd already was blind in one eye from a retinal bleed that happens with diabetes. She had already, at the age of 35, five stents in her heart from her arteries being ravaged by diabetes. But the reason why she was going to the hospital was diabetes can call this thing, cause this thing called peripheral neuropathy. And she had horrible pain and she was on pain meds at home. But when they weren't strong enough, she'd go into the hospital for IV meds and she got labeled a drug seeker, right? And so I came to her home and one of the questions I ask all my new patients is tell me something you're proud of. It's part of this thing called what matters to patients, goals of care. And she said, you know, I'm really not, I don't like talking about that stuff. And her husband was on the bed next to her and said, oh, come on, honey, you know, tell him. And she goes, well, I was a five-time national U.S. karate champion, won two bronzes and a silver in the Pan Am Games and came in seventh internationals. It's not an Olympic sport. But so Dr. Cornwall did not treat her as a drug seeker. I treated her as a U.S national karate champion. And over the rest of that year, she did go back to the hospital some. I reduced it from a third of her life to 10% of her life. But the following year, she did not go back to the hospital once. And she sent me this picture. I have this beautiful picture of her at this fall festival at a farm doing crafts. And the line, the text message was, thank you, Dr. Cornwell, for giving me my life back. And the following year, she actually did go to the hospital once, but we got her so much better, we actually got her on a transplant list. I didn't say she was on home dialysis also, in addition to all the other stuff. And she actually went to University of Illinois, got a pancreas and kidney transplant. And so she's no longer diabetic. She no longer has kidney failure. And the point of that story is, yes, you know, I'm a decent doctor, but it really was loving her that got her through this time and really gave her her life back. Sure. So what I'm hearing there is, it sounds like this whole model, it's more than just a change in business model. It's more than just the use of cool technology. It truly is a philosophy shift in how we want to approach patients, approach care. In a lot of ways, it's like going back to the old days, if you will, of that doctor, that physician-patient relationship and building those strong emotional bonds that ultimately encourage people to adhere to their care plan. Am I getting that right? No, I don't need to add to that. You nailed it because what patient does not want to feel like their doctor cares about them, like they care about their own family? And that is what we do. In fact, you kind of become part of the family. You know, I've delivered groceries and picked up medicine and stuff like that. Try not to do that too often because there's only so much time in a day. But you really do, even, you know, with the end of life care, you to help families because this is, you know, the patient is usually never our sole patient in the home. There's usually a caregiver, there's family, and when you really become a part of that, but you also really support them and educate them to really reduce stress in the caregiver's lives also. I mean, one thing that really has intrigued me about this whole line of services is the fact that now the brand that it's tied to is Village MD, right? So, and I live in Phoenix, so there's a Village MD like less than a mile from me. And it's uh, it's kind of cool. And I grew up in Houston, and so you know, having it started there, it's it's kind of cool. Um, but just the thought of you know that's who it's coming from: health systems, hospitals, national provider organizations. They have the same opportunities to implement this. But what I'm really hearing is this difference between fee for service and value based care has enabled other players to come in and offer these services. 
I'm just curious, is that where things are headed? Like, is it just Village MD is going to keep growing this? Do you see more players coming into the space from outside of the traditional provider setting, from outside of health systems, you know, the incumbent players out there? Do you see other, maybe it's even like, does it make sense for other players to do the same thing? Just because, you know, I hear like what Zane was just saying, this is an entire philosophy shift. This is an entirely different way of approaching medicine and value-based care is what enables that to some degree. I'm just curious what you, what you see as the trajectory from here in terms of other players coming in and will it be other retailers, do you think? We have a lot of great company and I'm going to actually start with, you know, when you talk about health systems, you know, I really think it is hard for health systems from a cultural standpoint to really do this well because they've always been having patients in beds has been their bread and butter and it's hard to shift that. Where you're seeing other players in this space, very successful other players in this space, they're all primary care based. Oak Street, ChenMed, Iora Health, Landmark, which is all house calls. These are primary care based, patient-centric, consumer-driven organizations that really meet the patient where their needs are at. And because they're at risk for bad outcomes, their huge incentives are not for patients to be in beds in the hospital. Their huge incentive is not to be in beds in the hospital. And so you can just do remarkable, innovative care. In fact, I can give you an example. You know, I'll just stop there. But it really is remarkable what you can do with primary care with these high-cost patients. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear an example. And so we're involved with this program called Capable. It was started at Johns Hopkins about a decade ago, and it's almost too good to be true. In fact, when we call patients with this, sometimes they even think it's a scam. What we do is, and what this program has is evidence-based through Johns Hopkins, over a four-month period, we target low-income, highly complex, so multiple medical problems, and functionally impaired patients. And over this four-month period, we send in an occupational therapist, usually for four to five visits. We send in a nurse, usually for three to four visits over four months. The occupational therapist focuses on their functional impairments and safety in the home. The nurse focuses on all their medical problems to truly try to get them to do their two-gram sodium diet for their heart failure, to truly avoid as much sugar in their diabetic diet. And so it is a really patient-centered, intensive program. But what is too good to be true about the program is after the second occupational therapy visit, we put together a work order with the patient and bring out a handy worker with a $1,600 budget to put in grab bars in the bathroom, to put in anti-skid slips in a bathtub, to put in raised toilet seats, to put in ramps, to put in carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. When there was this freeze in Houston in 2021, we bought space heaters for patients. And just think of in healthcare how far $50 goes, right? But just think if you are in a freeze in Houston and your heater's not working, what a space heater does or you're in Phoenix, you know, what an air conditioner, if your air conditioner goes out and you cannot afford a $300 window air conditioner unit, just think of what that will do for their health. And this is what we get. This is the kid in the candy shop that I talked about. This is what I get to do for my patients. The program costs about $3,000 per patient, but has shown to reduce healthcare costs by about $20,000 over two years. So rather than 
patients having a hip fracture and going to the hospital for $15,000 or it'll be a lot more than that. We prevent the hip fractures. We prevent the dehydration. We prevent the heart failure exacerbations by truly going over their diets with them. And again, this is the new world. This is the new transformative world that we are in where we are rewarded for providing great health. I love that. Um, Dr. Cornwell, before I got into healthcare, I spent a part of my career in hospitality. And so I worked for the Hilton as essentially the concierge. And I'll never forget one of the things that would drill into us is within reason, spend whatever on any guest to make sure that they stay loyal to the brand. And so there are the days I'd be on the phone, obviously, you know, getting them the right restaurants or the right tickets or the right hookups. And in parallel, I, you know, I see a parallel to what you're describing is doing all those extra things in a lot of ways actually contributes to the health of a patient, or in our case, in the hospitality industry, you know, the loyalty of that guest to continue to stay with us. And so really appreciate where you're coming from, from that perspective. You know, again, you nailed it. You know, you use the word loyalty. I use the word feel cared for. The people at Hilton, they felt cared for. They they felt special, right? And that's exactly what we do. And, And I have been amazed because Most of my career, when a patient can no longer go to the bathroom on their own, when they can no longer bathe themselves, my goal was to prevent further decline. Rarely when you can't do those things can you get them to be able to do them again later. This program, I was amazed at how they got patients that were not able to bathe with themselves by getting special equipment in the bathroom and getting them stronger. And just think of the dignity it gives people to be able to go to the bathroom on their own. The other thing was there's this depression assessment called the PHQ-9, and you probably do that in digital health, but it's in increments of fives in terms of like how bad you are, mild depression, moderate, high, severe. And I was literally shocked. I have never seen a study of any medicine that lowered depression scores as much as this program. And I think that gets into exactly what you said, the the feeling cared for. You know, I used the word love before, that when you invest so much in them, but again, this is such a win-win because as they do so much better, we do better economically because they don't go to the hospital. That's amazing. We used to say, actually, I think I came up with it. It wasn't for the Hilton, but my own interpretation of like, what is it? What does hospitality mean to me? It's the art of making people feel welcome. And it parallels exactly what you just said. So totally agree with that. You know, maybe to start to close us out here, because I know we're almost at time. We can't keep, we'd love to keep you all day. I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have patience to see. What would your advice be, Dr. Cornwell, for our listeners who, again, are you know, very health innovation focused, passionate about solving system, solving the healthcare issues in this country? What would be some guiding principles for them that you would want to leave with them as they think about their work and solving whatever problems they have? And how would you advise them broadly? Right. And so in value-based care, which is, I think, where the world is heading, the nice thing about it is you actually have a small population you can target. 5% of Medicare patients consume 50% of the cost. The top 1% of costliest patients consumes 22% of the cost at $110,000 a patient. So if you can really target those sickest of the sick patients, which is what House Calls and other things do, the ability to dramatically reduce cost savings. One of the things that surprised me in this data is that the cheapest 50% of the Medicare population consumes only 2.8% of all the costs. 
The cheapest 50 cent, only 2.8, an average cost of under $400 a patient. So, so you need to target that sickest of the sick. And then one of the best ways to target the sickest of the sick is a lot of those patients can't get to your wonderful healthcare systems. And so if they can't get to you, you need to go to them if you want to lower those healthcare costs. One of the things, if I could just mention the Home Center Care Institute that I founded, I'm no longer employed there, but there is this organization called the Home Centered Care Institute that has an enormous amount of free and some resources like conferences and stuff they do charge for to really get going in this. If you're interested, it's a quick way to start to learn about it. Again, it's called the Home Centered Care Institute. Fantastic. Can folks just Google that and find it? Or is there a website? Yep. Yeah. Home Centered Care Institute. And there's just, there's a lot of free resources, a lot of free tip sheets right on the internet, right on the website that you can go to. And so it's just a great read and it's a one of a kind. There's no other. And this is part of the problem, like, you know, in terms of the future of this industry, what is holding it back? What's holding it back is we don't have training in medical schools, in nurse practitioner and PA schools, because this is kind of a new thing. And that is the next part of what the Home Centered Care Institute really wants to do is to bring their training into our medical training programs so that as we grow this, there'll be the uh, workforce pipeline to kind of make it happen. Fantastic. I know Jared and I, uh, that's music to our ears. We spend a lot of time talking about just the educational gap, more so on like the digital and innovation side in healthcare and how someone needs to solve for that. And it sounds like y'all have found a equally important issue on the education side. So very, very cool. No, maybe you can help them with the digital side, add some material to it. We'd be happy to, right, Jared? It's a great nonprofit. For people who want to connect with you directly, is LinkedIn the best way to do that or just for them to follow your work and what you're doing? Yeah, LinkedIn is fine. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks for giving us so much to think about and helping us be aware of the good work that's happening in the home. I mean, this is nothing but encouraging to us. I mean, we love hearing this type of innovation, more choices, more ways to seek care, and the benefits that happen in our lives as a result. I mean, there's just this thing that happens in our lives when we realize there is a way for me to get better, to get well, to just yeah have a better life. <laughs> and knowing that there are different choices for that just makes a big difference. So uh, thanks again and uh, stay safe. We just want to wish you the best of luck in all you're doing. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to get the word out about this wonderful service. And so thank you for that. You're welcome. Happy to have you anytime. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.